Brother Harold asked that we mark song number 505 and use that as the hymn of encouragement a bit later in the service this morning. As was mentioned previously, it is a great blessing and a remarkable privilege that we each have been given today with a matter of health, the disposition of heart and mind to assemble and to offer worship and adoration to the great and awesome God of heaven. The reality of all of that brings us so many times to challenge ourselves in regard to matters even touching things like convenience. It is along that direction that we'll turn our attention this morning and look at an interesting life, life poem in the man named Felix. Brother Gary read for us just a moment ago from the 24th chapter of the book of Acts, and it is to that that we'll turn our attention here somewhat shortly. By way of introduction to the lesson this morning, it might be well to comment. Each of us, I suppose, in some way or another, is prompted by convenience. We try to arrange our life in such a way that things are minimally inconvenient, at least most of the time. If we have multiple things to accomplish, we'll want to make one trip to Cookville and try to do as much as we can to be most efficient, most effective, and as leastly inconvenienced as possible. The subject of convenience can often be a rather intriguing one, can't it? As we give thought to, does that word occur in the Word of God, and if so, in what way, and on what occasions is it used? I believe you'll find with me the word doesn't occur all that often in the Bible, really. But on those occasions when it does, it is interesting that sometimes the lessons to be drawn from it are more negative than positive. It is with that in mind, I would invite us to look at the life of Felix for just a moment. As we do that, let's set the stage historically. And then notice again that text in which he used the word. And let's see how he used it and what in fact might be lessons for you and me today. Let's start again with a bit of history. The book of Acts, at least over its last eight chapters, details in marvelous wonder the features concerning the man you and I know of as Paul. In chapter 21, he finds himself in a very uncomfortable situation. In fact, as he defends the character of the gospel, there are those who are ready to kill him because they think he's desecrated the temple. These are Jews, of course, who want to take his life. And as this mob rushes on to Paul and prepared to, in fact, end his life, a chief priest witnesses this and runs in and saves him. Paul is rescued, if you please. And beginning at that point for the next several chapters, he ultimately time and again finds himself in front of individuals like Jews who are not terribly pleased with his message. In fact, that very mob who had just tried to kill him, in the next chapter, Paul is given license to speak to them. They listen attentively to the, to the sermon until he makes mention of Gentiles in Acts 22, 22, and then they're ready to kill him again. They are ready to rush upon him and take his life. The high priest saves him one more time, or rather the chief, the chief ruler. When we come to chapter 24, these Jews have obtain the licensed services of a man named Tertullus. He is a very eloquent orator, a speaker, perhaps the finest, to which they could, in fact, make services available. They, in fact, allow this Tertullus to present their case before a man named Felix. Tertullus begins his address, as most eloquent speakers does. He compliments and he praises, and he, in fact, asserts with adoration the character of Felix, almost noble Felix. What great things thou hast done for us and for the whole nationality. 
today, aren't we aware that many politicians will begin their speech with something that sounds very much like that? And as, of course, we would expect, Tertullus gets to the point in his lesson when he says, This man, namely Paul, is a pestilent fellow. He, he stirs up trouble. He has even been one to encourage uprisings against the nation. Tertullus, no doubt confident that he had done his job, removes himself from the place, and now Paul is given license to defend himself. Paul categorically and point by point denies everything Tertullus said, and ultimately here's the basic question he says to Tertullus, where is your proof? Today, amongst all things that might be said in a court of law, proof is ultimately that which is finally and ultimately needed. Tertullus had none. Paul then addresses Felix. After setting aside all that Tertullus had said, Paul now turns his attention to Felix. The judge, if you please, the one before whom his case was being arraigned. Paul now directly addresses Felix and has some amazing things to say to him. As you come near the bottom of that slide, you'll notice that among some of the things that Paul said to this man, Paul reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. That wasn't at all what Felix was expecting to hear. That wasn't at all the kind of comments that Felix expected to hear from Paul. The text says that Felix trembled. The Greek word indicates he was frightened and afraid. He was so agitated, he was so overcome by what Paul had said that he was afraid. It was on that occasion that he responded with those words, inclusive of one of them, it'll be the lesson idea this morning. He said, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. His fear and his trembling and the character of his being afraid prompted him to quickly desire for Paul to leave, and when I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. The whole matter of convenience. It is interesting in light of all that that some of these thoughts come before us as you see them highlighted on this next slide. As far as the Scriptures indicate, that convenient season for Felix never came. In fact, if secular history can be believed, the whole life of Felix was not a very commendable one. He was not one we would lift up as an example. He was not one we would look to for an example of godliness. In fact, given the number of marriages that he had, given the number of other features about the nature of his life, and those things he encouraged in the lives of his people, we have no evidence the convenient season to invite Paul ever came. As you close that slide, I wonder, what might be some lessons in all that for you and me about convenience and about issues that might prompt us to think more soberly and to think more carefully about that word and at least spiritually what it might mean? Some observations, in fact, I think come next. These observations might well begin in a threefold way. First, what about convenience as it related to Paul? Let's first devote some attention and time to thinking about that. Revisiting the interesting features about Paul. When that time came of when Paul appeared before Felix, obviously Paul was in a rather precarious situation. His life was in the balance. There were people who hated him and wanted him killed. 
this man Felix had the power to release him, had the power to provide governmental protection, had the power to completely remove any cause or case the Jews might have against him. Needless to say, Felix had influence. Here Paul appeared before him. When that time came when Felix and his wife Drusilla had an interest in hearing Paul, one might think that it would have been in Paul's best interest to say what, would he, what he would have wanted to hear. To, in essence, befriend Felix. If I make a friend of this man, he might well commute any sentence I'm ever given. He might, in fact, release me permanently. He might, in fact, grant me the liberty that I might have to go freely about the empire and preach the gospel. Maybe I should say exactly what he thinks I should say. In fact, in verse 26 of this chapter, it says Felix was wanting a bribe. Maybe I need to say these things to build up his ego, to build up his reputation. Pay him a little money and I'm sure I can get off scot-free. Never a thing to be asked again. You see, that's what Paul could have done. But isn't it amazing that in verse 24 it says, verses 24 and 5, he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. I feel safe in saying he reasoned of the three most unlikely things to soothe the ears of Felix. That's exactly what was Paul's three-point sermon, righteousness. After all, as we give thought to the character of righteousness, it is something that prompts us to think about right living. And as we've already noted, if the records of history are any guide, Felix was not living right. He needed that kind of message, and this was the time Paul chose to deliver it? Secondly, temperance, self-control, holding in constraint and restraint one's passions and desires so that they're always directed in a proper way. Again, to a king or to a ruler. Now, Felix was the governor of that portion of the empire, and as I mentioned, a very powerful individual. And yet Paul is here telling this man who is his great superior, at least governmentally, that you need to be self-controlled. Paul had boldness, didn't he? Among all things we might say, that certainly is a true statement. But then thirdly, he reasoned of the judgment to come. He, in fact, almost it seems, turned completely the tables around. Though he was the one on trial before Felix, he put Felix on trial before the judgment bar of God. Felix, there's a judgment to come. Are you ready? Are you living rightly? Are you controlling your passions and desires? Felix was so moved by all this that the text says he trembled. The text informs us quickly that he was frightened. Apparently he and his wife, at least he, had enough appreciation of the thoroughness and the power behind Paul's message that he himself asked for Paul to be removed. Go thy way for now. When I have a convenient season, I'll call for you. All of that points out to us so boldly that Paul was not here motivated by, nor was he moved by convenience. Had he been, he would have offered a little money maybe. He would have said what Felix wanted to hear, and probably that would have been the end of the case. But Paul was not motivated by convenience. He preached again on three things, perhaps the least likely to soothe the ears of Felix. Isn't it true that all the Bible characters that you and I can recall, at least when they acted rightly, they were not motivated by convenience? I've made at least a brief listing. 
as we give thought to Abraham. In Genesis 14, when he and God, his troops together, and went after the battle of the kings to rescue Lot, was that a matter of convenience? Wouldn't it have been so much easier to stay at the house? But yet he, out of his love for Lot and character for justice, went after those rascals, and of course, he, he defeated them. What about the example of Daniel? Wouldn't it have been so convenient just to eat what was put on the table? To leave it alone and just eat what the king put before me? But Daniel didn't do that. I won't eat of the king's dainties because God doesn't approve of that. And Daniel 1.8 again reminds us he purposed not to defile himself. He ended up in a lion's den later because of that very character, didn't he? Daniel wasn't motivated by convenience either. What about examples like Moses? Was it convenient for him to do the things he did concerning the children of Israel? We've been studying so much about Moses and the character of his life and his leadership of the Israelites. And oh, how faulty they often were. They often were unbelieving. They often were idolatrous. They often were grumblers and complainers. In fact, they will often question Moses' leadership more than once. And yet he never gave up on them. But did he do that in convenience? Certainly not. All of that reminds us, doesn't it, that those noble characters of the Bible chose to pursue matters of rightness, whether it was convenient or not. Maybe in finality, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ might pose for us another grand example. Was His life one that exhibited convenience? Was that the way He did things and the reason He went about the life that He did? Certainly it wasn't convenient to go to the cross. Certainly it wasn't convenient to be pounded to a bloody pulp in the scourging, John 19.1. Certainly it wasn't convenient to have the nails pounded into His legs and hands, but He did it. And oh, how He did that in love, not in convenience for Himself. He had prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, If it be thy will, O Father, let this cup pass from me. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. It was the will of God that He do that, and how thankful we should be that He wasn't prompted by convenience. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, statements like this are found descriptive of the Master. Doesn't it say, descriptive of you and me and also of Him? For when, it says, that you and I were in a state of ungodliness, that He commended His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were sinners, you see. We were the ones that were deserving of death. We were the ones deserving of punishment, and yet, not in a matter of convenience, but He took our place. For He made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we should be made the righteousness of God in Him, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. As you look at Paul and convenience, I think we've learned a rather notable lesson already that certainly Paul wasn't prompted by. Why don't we look at another example? This time, what about Felix and convenience? As we've already noted in this lesson, Felix did find himself promoted by and prompted by convenience. Recall with me this statement again. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Paul want, uh, Felix wanted those things that were smooth, those things that apparently did not challenge him. He wanted to appreciate, it would seem, that in his position as leader, in his position as governor, 
that he had the power to de de derive and dictate. And in so doing, don't question me. And he wanted matters, of course, convenient for him. As you can see near the bottom, Felix was waiting for a convenient season. Sadly enough, again, it would seem that that did not come. I would ask you to think more about the character Felix and convenience as I present it at least in some thinking this way. When Paul stood before him, Paul followed his own advice set forth in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Paul found an opportunity to hopefully touch the conscience and the life of a sinful man. He found this an opportunity despite what might have been convenient for him. He sought the opportunity to find out what was in the best interest of that man. The character and amazing features of that points us to this. Paul understood the worth of that man's soul. And he knew that convenience for himself was not an important thing. It was not a significant thing. That man, perhaps I can touch him. It might make things harder for me. This man can keep me in prison. He might even make things worse for me. But that seemingly did not matter in the very least to Paul. He reasoned righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. It is in light of thoughts like that, we can begin to see that obedience is absolutely required. Here Paul reasoned of the matters in that man's life that he needed to do something. Right living, righteousness, again self-control, and again the fact that there is a day of reckoning coming. The Bible sets before all of us, does it, at the imperative of obedience. Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight, Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. He didn't pronounce a blessing on those that hear it only, but they who hear it and keep it. Didn't the Hebrew writer say in Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 8, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all of them that obey him. That need for obedience. And it would seem that Felix began to sense that, for he trembled. He knew that change was in the air and was in order for him if he was in fact to be what he ought to be. The fact that Felix trembled. The fact that he was afraid does in fact remind us that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10.31 and Hebrews 12.29 both remind us our God is a consuming fire. There ought to be a sense of great respect and yes, even fear when we are not right with Him because all eternity is in the balance. What about you and me this morning? Are we in a position we should be somewhat trembling? Should we be somewhat afraid when we give thought to what my life is as it stands against the matter of this book? That ought to make us very afraid. So far we can see Felix was trembled, but he did not tremble to the point he was ready to do the right thing about it. Rather than respond in obedience, he sent the preacher away. I don't want to hear that right now. This is not a good time for me. I'll call you when I'm ready. That's a dangerous mindset, isn't it? Things in life are so fluid and changes can come so quickly. Never again may you be that close to obedience as you are right then.
never again, and maybe you have known individuals, as have I, who reach a point when it seems they're ready to obey the gospel, maybe based on things they've said to you, maybe comments that they have asserted about what they're thinking about in life, and there are prayers on their behalf, and you wait so patiently, hoping for the phone call or that you'll see them walk down the aisle, and it never happens. The days turn into weeks, the weeks turn into months, the months turn into years, and suddenly the time comes that you never even see them at the church building anymore. Their life has totally turned around, never again are they as close as they were at that moment. And ultimately they die, and you have every assurance that they weren't prepared to meet God in judgment. And your heart breaks because you know there was a time they were close, might we not remember that statement in Mark the 12th chapter when there was an individual who was told this, Thou art not far from the kingdom of heaven. But might we say that to be not in it is to be lost. There is no middle ground. Sometimes we comment about the game of horseshoes, don't we? A ringer is a fine thing. But if you're close, you at least get some credit. And there is some reward there is no reward as far as the Bible reveals for being close to obeying. That's not good enough. Only those who are in the kingdom are the ones promised salvation, Ephesians 5.23. Being close doesn't matter in the final analysis. It's what did we do when, when we were close? Did we react? Did we respond? Did we obey? I suppose all that prompts us to the last set of questions. We've looked at convenience in Paul. We've considered convenience in Felix. What about convenience in me and also you? Are you and I, at least in religion, sometimes prompted by convenience? Do we simply make convenience the rule of the day? I'll do what's convenient, even in my service to the Master. And so if it isn't convenient, I just won't do it. That might involve any number of things, mightn't it? My attendance at the services. If it's convenient, I'll be there. But if it isn't convenient, don't count on me. I wonder how the Lord will react to a statement and a, even a thought like that. We've already learned convenience had nothing to do with Him going to the cross. And may I submit, if inconvenience is prompting me in my disservice to the Master, I just won't attend the services, I won't do the other things that God asks of me, but I'll do them when it's convenient. That doesn't speak very well of my commitment to Him, does it? It doesn't speak very highly of my devotion to Him if I'm letting convenience be the order of the day. Perhaps you and I should appreciate, again, those three points on which Paul preached. Righteousness. Here Paul had the boldness and audacity to stand before Felix and preach on righteousness. That means right living. What should you, Felix, be doing and what should I be doing? And Paul stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with him and stated, this is right living, and Felix, you're not shaping up. Doesn't he remind us of Belshazzar in Daniel, the fifth chapter? Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Here was the God of heaven through the prophet Daniel directly asserting, Belshazzar, indeed, there's a balance, and your side's coming up a bit short. You're lacking. You better shape up because judgment is coming. Those words in our world seem so harsh and they seem so politically incorrect. But yet that's the way the Bible reveals its truth, isn't it? 
Felix needed to be told about righteousness, and Paul did it. As you think about righteousness, how often does that same message come to you and me? In Titus 2, beginning in verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. You see, we too also are required of God to set aside ungodliness and live righteously. Is Randy Bybee doing that? Are you doing it? If not, the fault isn't with the Scriptures because the Bible is plain. The fault is not with the Christ. He did His job. The fault is not with God. He revealed the inspired will. Does that imply the fault is with me? May we each appreciate, again, convenience doesn't seem to enter into that. But also notice Paul reasoned of self-control. We live in an age and a time, and certainly it isn't new with modern America, but humanity wants to do what humanity wants to do. We are seemingly in an era when it's becoming far more fashionable to say, you don't have the right to tell me anything different. It is my freedom and my liberty and my opportunity. Maybe that part, at least in strength, is a bit new. But again, Paul said there is a matter of self-control. Are we controlling ourselves? The world does offer so much, and perhaps we need to be ready to keep things at bay. As you give thought to that statement of 2 Peter 1.6, among the Christian graces, Paul said, Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance. The very next thing in the list was temperance, which means self-control. But then finally, Paul reasoned of the judgment to come. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. In Romans 14, 12, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Paul t told Felix these kinds of things. We each need to remind ourselves of this fact. This life is merely a preparation ground for the day of judgment. What we do, what we say, what we think will be brought to bear on that great and notable day. Oh, if only we can live wisely, righteously, with self-control and in light of the judgment. All of that points us to, again, some of those verses there at the bottom of that slide. Perhaps one, the second one to the last one. Hebrews 9, 27 puts it like this. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. These issues of convenience bring us to the last element of the slide. The last slide that we'll need to consider in our lesson this morning. Am I prompted by convenience? And are you? It might well be that there's one or more individuals in this audience who you've allowed Sundays to pass and you know that you need to respond in a public way. It may be you've never become a Christian and you know the Lord is so desirous of adding you to His body, adding you to His fold, enlisting you in the service of the kingdom. But to this point, you're waiting for a convenient season. Maybe you're waiting for some certain person to be in attendance that day. Maybe you're waiting for a day when it's not so pretty because you want to get home to dinner and to a ball game. Don't let those things dissuade you. You may never be as close again as you are today to obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It might be that there's an erring saint here 
one who, though a Christian at one time, has moved aside from faithfulness. You've begun to live in ways that do not show temperance, that is to say self-control, living in ways that do not indicate righteousness. You need to hear again what Paul reasoned with Felix about, righteousness and temperance and the judgment to come. You too may need to make a public statement, a desire to come back to your first love. And if today we could be of assistance in either of those ways, it would be a great, great day for you. But don't let convenience guide you. Paul did say in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2, Today is the day of salvation. He did not say tomorrow. Now we understand that if God allows tomorrow to come to pass, that tomorrow can be a day of salvation too. But today, today is the day of salvation. If you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. That statement is found in Hebrews 3 verse 15. And may we echo it again today. Today if you hear His voice and you need to respond, harden not your heart. Don't be a stiff-necked individual like the children of Israel were in the ancient day, but have a heart ready to be tender and responsive as you obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't be like Felix and wait for a convenient season, but rather be like those such as the Ethiopian eunuch who responded at once. It was he who said, Here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? How excited and anxious he was to obey the gospel. And today... Don't let convenience be your guide, but rather let the truth be your guide. And if we could help you today in your response, we'd be honored to do that, even while we stand at this moment and while we sing.